Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adult Child of Dysfunction. Today, our special guest is Susan Ball. She is a domestic violence survivor, a re- abuse recovery mentor, lived experience speaker, and a passionate advocate who has transformed the most terrifying and painful experience of her life into a powerful gift to mentor and inspire women to re- live free, fulfilled, and unapologetically. Susan is on a mission empowering a woman, empowering women to rise up, show up, free their voices, and move from the victim space to the courageous and healing space. Love that bio, Susan. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. I I just love being here. This is a great topic. And there's so many people out there. I know that they had dysfunction. And it's nice for them to hear from other people that we got through it, that we're okay. That's exactly why I do this. I love just different perspectives. I mean, my perspective is different than yours. My experience is different than yours. And my coping skills that I developed were different than yours. And also my healing journey is obviously different than yours because it's unique. So I just, just reading this again, it's, you mentioned one specific event. Is that what was the base of your trauma or just talk a little bit, tell us a little bit more about who Susan is. Okay. So, um, I was almost killed um, by my fourth abusive husband, serious abuse. Uh, He strangled me to blacking out. And when I got up, I was able to get my thoughts around me. And the police station was two blocks away from our house. So I ran out the back door and I ran to the police station. And I know that this sounds really dramatic, but it was winter in Canada and I was barefoot and I did run in the snow. And it sounds like my grandparents going to school story, but it's true. And he actually chased me yelling obscenities and how he was going to kill me and rape me and all of this while the police were holding open the door at the precinct listening to him. And the most beautiful part of that story is that when he got to the front door, of course, they took me in, they ushered me in. He got to the front door. There was this little tiny female police officer and he looked at her and he said and I'll effing kill you too and the next thing I knew he was on the ground on his back and being handcuffed she had but I'm like brava that's awesome <laughs> so that led me to I had to escape that and I ended up only one person would allow me to live in their home and that was my cousin in a furnace room that's where I lived on a cot I had to give up my two children to their father while I healed. <clears throat> and in that moment, I, w- I was drinking a lot. I've never lied about this. I was drinking a lot. I was partying, feeling deadly sorry for myself, really living in the victimhood. And this one night where I was sitting with my bottle of wine and this little voice came in my head and it said, but Susan, who's the common denominator in all your relationships? And I went, you just get out of my head. You go away. We are not going there. I have no blame, no, none of that stuff. 
but it was like a little earworm, Tammy, mm -hmm. that got in there. And I started to go a little more deeply into who, who am I? Why do I keep pursuing men? Why am I never alone? What, like, what is this so afraid of being alone? <clears throat> and I realized that all the trauma of my childhood, I had never dealt with it. I had buried it. I had said, it's okay, you know, was just different than anybody else's childhood. And when I started to really excavate the layers like an archaeologist, I realized there was a lot more pain in there and a lot more dysfunction and a lot more abandonment than even I was aware of, if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. And and that was the basis of my healing journey. And in all of it, I when I set out to do this and I really got into it, it was not about blaming or shaming my parents. It was about understanding what happened to me and the why that this happened to me. Well, and that was the beginning of my healing was diving deep and it was painful. I won't lie about that. It was really, and the more that I dug another little nugget would come up and I go, Oh, right. Right. That happened. Oh, right. Well, honestly, in all my experiences, it seems like it's always, it always goes back to childhood trauma because it follows mm -hmm. you. And, and, you know, it's like I say, when I said in the beginning, we all develop these coping mechanisms and these life skills and these ways of surviving what we go through when we're itty bitty and are not making rational decisions, but your brain is just on autopilot to protect, right? So you develop these things and I, I'm a perfect example of, it. you know, I became like a chronic, chronic people pleaser because growing up, I thought that if I was perfect and I did just every, if I did everything everybody wanted me to do and I just submitted that life would be easy, that I wouldn't get beat up, that I wouldn't get locked in closets, that I would, whatever it was. So, but now as an adult, like that obviously doesn't serve you anymore. So one, I mean, so yeah, you, you, you do exactly what your brain was wired to do. It was wired to protect you. And then you have to unearth all of this stuff. Oh, so it sounds like you've been you've been doing it a while. And one of the comments, I, mean, I just I can't even imagine the trauma. But one of the things that you said to me was that you went to 28 different schools. Yes. How did that come about? I mean, were you tell me the story of like, were you with mom and dad, grandma or how how did that happen? What? <laughs> My parents were in, in a physically abusive relationship. Okay. I was number five of their children. The last one, the baby. I was, as my father used to call me, a surprise package from heaven. That was, you know, that was a nice way of calling me an inconvenient child. And that was what I had to really feel was this being in the place of an inconvenient child. Um, I was 10 years younger than my next sister. Hmm. So she really resented me. She laid some beatings on me. I still have scars because so on and so forth. When I was so... From zero to eight years old, my parents were constantly splitting up, getting back together. He was leaving. She was leaving. So she would grab me. I would go over there. I would go with dad. I would da 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 When I was eight, they got divorced. They actually separated. And at so from zero to eight, I went to a lot of schools. I wouldn't even be able to tell you how many because we're always around. At eight years old, I came home from school one day. And my father and mother sat me down and said that they were separating for good. And that I was going to go and live with the neighbors. I'm not like, mom or dad. <laughs> no. 
Not my sisters, of which there was other ones there, but they were all too busy with their own families and had no room for an inconvenient child. So, okay, I'm going to go live with the neighbor. And I remember them distinctly. I don't remember much from my life, but their little girl was named Judy, and she was my only friend at that time in that particular school. And Mr. and Mrs. Saunders took me in. And that's what I had to call them, Mr. and Mrs. Saunders. I didn't see my mom and dad for a while. I remember that there was like this gap going on. My father showed up one time to take me to the hospital, have my tonsils out, then delivered me back to the neighbors. And, and that was basically it. When I was about nine-ish, my mother came back into my life and she said she got an apartment and she was healed and so on and so forth and moved again, moved to another school, moved there. Then she couldn't cope. She wanted to travel. She wanted to do all of this stuff. I was left with my sister. I was back to the neighbors. I went to live with my dad, which was a really bad situation, very bad situation, because his current girlfriend was very abusive to me, to the point where she would lock me in closets and, and actually accused me when I was about I was about 14 and I was very naive. And I remember sitting, my dad had an armchair. You remember the old lazy boy chairs and the old man sat in there. And I was sitting on the big arm of it, leaning on him, talking to him. And she dragged me into my room and she said she would not have me attempting to have sex with her husband. Now, wow. I didn't even really know what that meant because I was like, what does that mean? I was like, really, okay, but it was something bad. So I better not do that. So I stopped being close to my father, I, all of that stuff. That went on until I was about 17. And by then I was had dropped out of school. I My mother had remarried and I had gone to live with them to go to high school. My stepfather died suddenly of a heart attack. And on the day that he died, everybody was moving homes because I was such a brat. My mom and my stepfather wanted their own place. They couldn't cope with me. I was all of 15. My sister and my brother-in-law were coming to move into the house. It was moving day. My stepfather died of a heart attack. So feature this. I get a phone call from my father who calls me a murderer for the death of my stepfather. That oh, if wow. I hadn't been such a brutally bad, obnoxious, selfish teenager, Bill wouldn't have died. Wow. That's yeah. a lot to swallow so, as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then my mother became an alcoholic. She would come into the bedroom in the middle of the night and flick on the life, night, light and she'd have a big knife and call me a streetwalker and a tramp and how I ruined her life. So there was huge trauma in the teenage years when you're really developing a sense of self right and and whatnot so that led to dropping out of high school and doing bad things mm -hmm. for attention right and becoming very and and that was the look starting to look for emotional connection i didn't understand that i was looking for emotional connection in all of those years i can't recall being hugged I can recall my sisters pulling my hair and telling me to grow up. They would hold my hair up and say, when are you going to cut this and grow up? And, and it was all, there was always a brutality Christmas dinner. My sister threw a chair at me one Christmas dinner because whatever, I don't even know what I did. <laughs> I can't remember, but I remember this chair coming wonking at me. Like I was just unwanted. And and I was an inconvenient child. I was an inconvenience to everyone, to my father who wanted to move on, to my mother who didn't want to be a mother anymore. I don't ever think she wanted to be a mother. And 
to my sisters who had their own problems financially and all of that kind of stuff and were much older than me and didn't want to be bothered with this burden. So when you think about it, I had absolutely no one to lean on, not even a sister I was close to. And I didn't understand at the time that literally I had been abandoned on every level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The word never even crossed my mind, Tammy, until I started my healing journey. Right. Yeah. And it's just abandoned. Yeah. And you're using so many words that are just so like I'm thinking back and I'm picturing me. And, you know, like you said, the when the identity is formed, you know, it's I always picture these two kids like one whose mom is leaning over the crib and goo goo gaga and oh you're going to be amazing and you're going to be beautiful and you're going to be this and you're that and that's they start to form that identity that young like that young it starts and so that's what that baby grows up thinking whereas my mom it was the same thing it was you know i drink because i can't handle you i wish you were never born um you know i hate you i remember my mom telling me she hated me at five years old and i'm like okay you know, I remember going to my dad and I'm like, dad, mommy said she hates me. And he's like, well, that's okay. I will now be your mother and your father. You don't need a mother. Just you come to me if you need anything. But they were both alcoholics. So obviously my dad was unemotionally there. Like he said, you know, I, I think the same way. I sometimes sit there and I, I cannot muster up a memory of hugging my mother, not one. And yeah, I remember a lot of weddings and and all these different things that I did with her, but I'm like, I don't ever remember her putting her arms around me. And it's, it's like, I love my, I hug my kids. I probably over hug them now. I mean, they're grown 19, 26, 27. I actually work with one of my younger, my youngest son and I'll go to work. And the first thing he does is hug on me because he knows that's me. But yeah, it's, it's terrible growing up without that connection. But it's good yeah. that you you had that aha moment. So you said you were how old when you had that moment? That like, oh my gosh. I was well I into my thirties. In your thirties. I was I well. Would... Yeah. And you had been, you said you were you mentioned your fourth divorce, a fourth abusive relationship or four. So you were married four times? Yes. And all abusive. No. No, I was married twice. Oh, okay. But then living with other people. My first abusive relationship started at 16. Okay. And it went until I was 21. But see, the, and here's something. It, for everybody who's listening, and I, I want to make this really important point. When I was in that relationship, because my father and mother had a physical abuse, and, and I'm going to say this out loud, they were equally violent to one another. I watched my mother get frying pans and beat him upside his head and and for like just sitting there. So they were equally. When I got into my first abusive relationship, he would sort of get me cornered on a wall and punch the wall beside my face. Be grateful this isn't your face. Because he didn't make contact, I dismissed that as not being physically violent. So I'm here to tell you that driving too fast on the highway, swerving in and out of traffic, threatening you, cornering you, raising their hand and I oughta, that's physical violence. That will is physical abuse. So I just want to say that out loud because I went through a five-year relationship where I didn't think I was being abused because unlike what I saw with my parents, I wasn't being hit. 
Exactly. And that's a very good point you make because your brain doesn't know. Your brain re- reacts to emotional trauma the same it reacts to physical trauma. So it doesn't your brain doesn't care whether it's hit or not. You're still physically hit. You it goes into yep. that fight or flight that hypervigilant like, "Oh my gosh, I got to protect myself. I got to cower. I got to do this." I mean, there's no way it would not. I mean, your brain thinks your brain is in protect mode. When someone puts their fists up, whether they actually make contact or not, it's the same thing. And honestly, you know, I remember someone asking me one time, you know, your, my father did not hit me. Um, My mother was very, very physically violent. My father was not. But I remember someone asking me one time as a kid, would you rather have been hit or ignored? And I said, I'd rather be, take the beating any day because at least I knew I was alive. At least I knew they knew I was there. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, then that just shows you it does, the, but it does the same thing to your mind. It does the same thing to your sense of, I am loved. I mean, it, it, it destroys all of that. But I remember someone said, that's, that's paint, like that sucks that you would rather have been beaten than ignored. So that abandonment is the number one thing. You know, so when you when you found that relationship, didn't matter that he beat you. He still was there for you. <laughs> and you go immediately into the the little girl. I better behave better. I better mm-hmm. do better. I'm not doing good enough. I will keep, you know, people pleasing, codependency, all of those things come up. I'll do better next time. I promise, honey, I won't. Whatever it was, I have no idea what it was now. And and that's what you did. That, and it, when I went through my healing process, I was like, oh, yeah, that was me as a kid. Please don't mm-hmm. go, mommy. Please don't tr- pack the trunk. Please don't leave me with the neighbors. Please don't leave me wherever. My sister was brutal to me. She once hung me over a balcony. And that's who I had to go and live with. And I would plead with her and she would just tell me <laughs> my mother was famous for if we went to her crying, even as adults. So she would sit there. She would cross her arms and say, can you imagine what it was like for me with no women's rights and the Great Depression and having to go and get food stamps? And it's like, okay, okay. Not a hug or a comfort, nothing. Nope. So what message does that say? Oh, wait, your feelings do not matter. Nobody cares. Nope. Nope. So don't even have them. (laughs) Yeah. So you give up. You just quit. Mm Mm-hmm. So and that you, leaves a pretty big void. So when you meet a guy or a girl or whatever your circumstances are, you meet someone and the very first thing they say is, I love you. I will take care of you. I will never hurt you or leave you or abandon you or do any of that stuff. You fall for it. Hook, line and sinker. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was funny. I look at like my very first marriage and he didn't even have to say those things. It was just someone that was, I just hoped he was going to take care of me. I'm going to do the perfect thing, you know, have babies and and be there for him. And that was really the beginning. I was 26. So that was the beginning of my, okay, something is wrong. Because I, I literally got married without that connection, which is amazing that you can do that. But I was still at the point where that was right when the therapist first said to me, how does that make you feel? And I was like, feel like, what does that even mean? (laughs) I'm like, I don't feel she's like, well, you're married, right? I'm like, yeah, and I love him. Really? (laughs) And I did, you know, I was I head over heels. But it's like, I didn't even know who I was. 
thoughts or what I wanted or how I felt or anything. But it was a child. It was a child coming that made me realize, okay, clearly something is not right because I, I'm getting ready to hold a human in my hands and have to love it unconditionally. And I don't know what that means. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a bizarre feeling when you start to think about it because the first time I went to therapy, Tammy, I told the therapist, well, I went to 28 schools between, you know, kindergarten and grade 10 when I finally dropped out and he looked at me and he said it, those words, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, Yeah, your reaction was exactly like mine. Like, what do you mean feel? <laughs> was I supposed to feel something about that? <laughs> no, just another day waiting for number 29. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but it's it's funny in that you can look back at it now and laugh because now you feel and like that's our message to people is you have to feel. No matter what you have to do, you have to feel. I mean, there are whole, I became a total dissociator. Like I, like you, you say, I don't remember most of my childhood. And I'm like, well, why do I not remember the cool things? But I remember the bad things. But there's so much that you don't want to process. You know, you don't want to feel. And I don't believe, I don't know how you feel about this. I don't believe you have to go back and relive the ugly stuff to heal. I believe you have to spend, I believe it is more, for me, it was way more beneficial to go back to do the inner child work, but not necessarily have to dredge up every bad memory, but just to give that inner child the love and the acceptance and the validation and the the safety and the comfort that you never got as a child. But I didn't, I've never, you know, I've had psychotherapists that want to, you know, hey, let's figure out why you have that recurring dream about swallowing glass in front of a vampire for 50 years. I'm like, mm, don't think I want to go there. But you know what I mean? So it's it, it's a balancing act, I think. I mean, how do you feel about that? I feel exactly the same way. I I, I got to a point where I learned to soothe the child and talk to her. And even now to this day, when I have moments of, you know, my current husband, who's a good guy, he's a truck driver and he's gone for four days, sometimes more. And now I'm at a point where that's cool. But every once in a while, the little girl creeps up, watches him drive away and thinks that could be it. That mm -hmm. could be it. He's never coming back. And I have to stand back and say, OK, what do you need right now? Let's try. What do you need right now? Because she needs something in that in that nanosecond. Whatever it is, is is causing her to feel abandoned. So I go through those exercises of, you know, you're safe. This is now you're here. This is safe. And we just talk about it. But it does sometimes come up. Sometimes I smile at myself and I go, oh, come on. We're not going there. Come on. <laughs> come with me. Let's go for a walk. Like, you know, I think it's getting in touch with that little person and being there for them when they need something from you. It's yes. like, I don't know how to describe it really it's not no, but i guess the, for the listeners out there the 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 simplest way i can describe it is that when you react and you don't know why you react the way you do there's a very very good chance it stems from something that happened before so to just be aware of those feelings and then be curious about them 
you know, follow mm-hmm. them backwards, follow them backwards for years. If you have to like walk through the timeline and kind of just be aware of the fact that there's a reason, you know, you don't just fly off the handle for no reason. And if you can follow things back long enough, most likely you're going to find out it was something that happened during your childhood. And then you can react to that and help that little person. Because I always say, you know, you can do all the I'm worthy, I'm happy, I'm loved, I'm this, I'm that, and all the positive affirmations in the world. But when it comes down to a split decision or something that you react to, you're still reacting as that subconscious from that subconscious mind. And that is the little girl that was damaged, that was hurt, that was neglected. So it oh, it never hurts to go back and get all the way back to that little girl when you react. And I do the same thing. I'll be like, okay, Tammy, that was the five-year-old you speaking. Let's let's pull it back to present today. You're 55. <laughs> let's, yeah. you know. So, I mean, I, it, it is, thing. yeah, it's the same thing. And I, I, but that's, you know, it's just being curious. And like I said, and, and stop beating yourself up. First of all, when you have a reaction that you don't expect or that you don't like that you have that reaction, first of all, give yourself some grace. Mm. Right. And understand that there's a reason that you had that reaction. You're not a bad person because not, I don't truly believe God makes bad people. I mean, there's occasional exception here and there, but for the most part, we are all born good. And then life happened, shit happened, part of my French. And it brought out the, the blocks of the joy and the happiness and it put those walls up. So tell me, because I just can't even imagine 20. I mean, it sounds like horrific. Like you said, it's been horrific. Um, and look at you sitting here smiling and I love it. So what would be your number one tool? Like what was the number one thing besides therapy? You said you went to therapy that you use to get past all of this or to heal from this. I, I, yes, the therapy only lasted for a little while, but it was helpful in the beginning for me to kind of recognize that there was little girl problems that there, that helped me recognize that. My number one tool is actually awareness that what is happening is something from the past that's creeping in and kind of triggering my unconscious brain to react in a certain way. So that self-awareness is the first part. And then it becomes looking backwards, as you said, to see what it was. I think the the best way for me to explain it is when I recognized and I started to actually say the word abandonment and that I had a fear of abandonment, and I stepped into that reality of what was happening, what my gap was, the wound, then I was able to heal it, because then I could look at people and go by what they were, what they, I was experiencing right now with this particular person. So I became more in the now, but I knew that I had to name what this gap was, what this wound was. And once I found the name, once I looked at everything that happened, and I and it was really hard, Tammy. It was really hard to say, my parents abandoned me. Mm-hmm. They abandoned me. Yeah. That that was I cried and cried. That little girl cried forever because and and I remember at that point, I did go to my mom and I and not in a confrontational way. And I said, you know, mom, all the schools, all the moving around, all the times that you just packed up, I would come home from school, she would have a trunk on the living room floor. And she would say, I'm moving, you're going here, it's happening tomorrow. And and I would be in a new school and with somebody else. That's, that's what she never spoke to me about it. It just happened. 
Mm-hmm. And I went and I told her, I feel as if you abandoned me as a child. And I remember she looked at me and she said, well, that's just ridiculous. Who would tell you that I did something like that? And it was at that moment that I recognized that the healing had nothing to do with her and I conversing about this. Yeah. And that I had to accept that as well. That that, what she did to me, whatever her wounds were, whatever her her motivation was, was hers and hers alone had nothing to do with me. And that I wasn't going to heal myself by arguing with her and getting her to see me. She hadn't seen me in all this time. She's not going to see me now. No. And I had to accept that. And that was a pretty big pill to swallow. Yep. I have a, it makes me think of the, I have a little picture in my Facebook group and it was literally like a brain and it's like a circle of things you can control. And then it was things you cannot. And again, like on the outside, I would put that on, like I would work with people and put that on the outside. Like, you know, my perpetrator's belief in what actually happened, their reality. And, and, you know, that's why I tell people everything you have, you have inside, you can't look for other people to validate you, to give you that, that it's okay to give you anything. It's all inside of you. And we all have these tools to pull it out. And it's so frustrating because you're like, oh, if you just knew, you know, and, but you have to truly believe and it takes a long time to get over that. And then I'm thinking of your story and I'm thinking, yes, you have to sit and you have to name it. You have so many things you had to sit and name. You had to, you know, yes, it's a, a physical abuse. Yes, it's a, a toxic relationship. And like, there's so many things and that's, you know, and you have to just keep unpacking them. And it, it takes years. But I, you know, the good news for the people listening is never too late to start, never too early to start. So I give a, you know, my message is start, you know, I want to reach high schoolers. I want to reach kids, you know, and say this, is, you know, if you're growing up like this and you have questions, please reach out because it doesn't always have to take 30 years. Like I wish people had told me some of the stuff when I was like 12. You know, oh, me too. Uh, I would have avoided so much hassle, Tammy. <laughs> you know, really, I have a book called Surviving Alcoholic Parents. And if someone had handed me that book when I was 10 years old, and my whole trajectory in my life would have been different because I would have understood so much more. So it's so much education and just learning, just learning. And like I said, to pe- I tell people all the time, get on these different podcasts, get on different things, because this is a different perspective. We had a lot of similarities between with the emotional abandonment and just the abandonment in general, but our stories are totally different. Two totally different people. Exactly. You know, um, the one other thing you mentioned, and I want you to, I give a different, I give my perspective on this, but at one point you said, you know, you were drinking, you were partying, you were doing all the bad things. Talk about your journey of self-reflecting and what your part in this is and how you, you know what I mean? Does, does that kind of make sense? Because that was, that's a tough one for some people. They don't ever want to say, well, part of this is me. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one, especially in my, my line of work, because I deal with people who have been abused. And when I say to them, well, let's look at your wounding or your gap or what led you to accept this treatment. It's usually met with real, I, and I often say to people, when we're healthy, emotionally healthy, and we've been raised in a healthy, loving, 
um, family where we are allowed to be individuals and be authentic. Somebody being mean to us or abusing us for 99% of those people, they would go, that's not acceptable. Or they would have a parent they would trust or a sister or a friend they could trust to say, hey, this happened. What do you think of this? And they would listen to that because they've been taught to communicate it and all, which we were not. We had no one to learn this stuff from. So the first thing is I allow them to have that shock value. And then I say, okay, next week, you just go and think about it and, and we'll have a look at it. Because until you're honest, and this is my biggest thing that I talk to my clients about, and I want women and men to listen to, be honest. We have a lot of social scripts that we live by, and it's very difficult for us to say, my mother abandoned me. That's against every social script that we learn. Your mother is your caregiver, your um, friend, your nurturer, all of these things. When you have a mother that doesn't fit that description, and you have to say, my mother abandoned me, that your whole body and everything reacts with, oh, that's not true. Let's go back and look at that. She was a good mother because we don't want to believe that to be the truth. Right. And you will fight with yourself because we don't want to believe that. But the honesty that you need to do the healing is so important. And even if you write it down and you say, my mother physically abused me as a child. Now you might just really recoil from that in the beginning. That's fine. Just write it down. Move away from it. But that has started your brain to go, yeah, yeah, that did happen. Yes, that did happen. You don't have to go into a big, long explanation or anything. All you're doing is starting to put the truth and the honesty out there. So when you do come to healing, you can say, yes, my mother abandoned me. Yes, I went to 28 schools. Can you believe that? My mother put me in 28 schools and thought that was okay. She really thought that was okay. Again, I don't, she did it for whatever her reasons were. That you didn't do anything wrong. You are just simply seeking the truth that led to the wounding that leads you to accept behavior or treatment that is unhealthy. Absolutely. And it goes in that order. Absolutely. No, very, very well said. Yeah, I like to I like to kind of hear people's perspective on that one because I mean, as a child, you you would rather that's why children that are abandoned and abused and neglected and whatever, they grow up thinking they're so unworthy and that they're bad because no little brain, no seven-year-old brain is going to believe that the person that has to protect them, they, they depend on that mom and dad to protect them a hundred percent. And your brain will not let you believe that they are wrong. So it gets all turned around and you're wrong. You're bad. You're this. And it is. And then you grow up and that becomes your reality because our perception is our reality until you change that perception. (laughs) Correct. And and that's that's why they have you and me. (laughs) You know, and it's tough because you are going and usually and, and I'm not sure if you found this growing up, but if I did go to my sisters or I did go to the neighbor, I did try to talk to a teacher. I always got. Well, your mom and dad are just going through a rough time. Mm-hmm. It was never about me. It right. was never anybody to say, oh, I'm sorry you're feeling this way. Let's talk about it. Do you need a hug? Nothing. It was about mom and dad again. Right. 
if you were lucky enough to even go to someone and get that kind of feedback, <laughs> which is horrible <laughs> feedback. But I was like, I don't, I, you know, even my brother, like if I talk to my brother and sister right now, which we don't talk about our childhoods, but if I did, you would never know by our conversations that we were even lived in the same house. And we certainly didn't talk to each other about it. You know, I mean, like, I'm sure my brother's probably out there listening to some of these episodes going, I didn't know that was happening. Wow. Because we all blocked out certain things. We all escaped certain ways. We all did what we, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I just, and I loved my brother dearly, but I never went to him. Never. He was two years older than me. My sister was four years younger and we protected my little sister from seeing as much as we could. But you would never, 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 never guess we grew up in the same house <laughs> just by our conversations, you know, and it's, I don't know if that's good, bad, indifferent, but it was the the epitome of the silence, the don't tell, don't trust, don't talk, don't, don't do anything. It doesn't exist because you're right. If we had gone and I know because if I would be, you know, people would ask me why, why do you sleep on the desk or, you know, it's because I'm tired well, why are you tired? Well, because my parents fight all night. Well, they're just, they're just going through a rough time. Things are tough right now. I know your mom drinks, you know, that kind of, but yeah, it wouldn't, you wouldn't get any, it's okay. Or what can we do for you? There was none of that. And that's why I think they need more advocates out there screaming at the top of the roof, like literally standing up there going, it's okay. It's not your fault. Go get the help you need. You deserve it. (laughs) You know? Agreed. I agree. A hundred percent. So, well, this has been super fun and I don't want to keep everybody on here forever. And I'm sure you have things to do. This has been great. Um, a lot of good wisdom coming out of Miss Susan Ball. So if you want to get hold of you and somebody wants to work with you, talk to you, ask you questions, what is the best place to do that? The best place to do that would be to go to my website, which is recoveryafterabuse.ca. And then everything is there to to connect with me through Facebook and through setting up a a time to talk to me, et cetera, et cetera. It's all right there. Recoveryafterabuse.ca. And I will put that in the show notes so everybody can have the link that goes right to you. Um, So before you go, and I always like to ask all my guests, you've been through a tumultuous life, but now you've got some joy in it, which is amazing. If you could go back or you could give, let's say somebody starting on this healing journey that knows things are just kind of a miss, but not sure where to get started. What would be one of your best pieces of advice you could give someone? I would ask them, persuade them, encourage them to do this simple journal exercise, because oftentimes when we're in the middle of all of this chaos, whether it's a bad relationship, our childhood, whatever's coming up, it's very hard to get out of that cloud. So here's a little journal prompt for you. What do I want more of in my life? What do I want less of in my life? And just free write, because in there is so many golden nuggets of what's going on in your life without you having to Put pressure on yourself to answer questions like, what was your favorite color when you were a little girl? It's just an open question that you can just write. I love that. That's actually one that I I haven't used it that simply, honestly, which I love (laughs) because it's a great place to get started. You know, I just doing the brain dumping, just what do I want more of? What do I want less of? 
It's like kind of like when you're trying to figure out your values, you know, what is what what was happening in the best days, what was happening in the worst days. And then that tells you so much. But journaling is absolutely my favorite trick. Yes, so. I, I had to write down a lot of stuff and I thought, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, when you put it on paper, it just becomes more real. You know, it just becomes like yes. tangible and it's, you can see it on paper. So it must be <laughs> not, not, I can read it on the internet. That doesn't necessarily mean that's true, but, but well, I'll thank you so much for coming, Susan. I so appreciate you. And I love what you do. We all appreciate you. We appreciate you as well. Great topic that you dive into. It's so important. So important. Well, thank you so much. And for all of the listeners out there, you've got now something to start with. If you don't know where to go, you don't know where to start, just start with those two simple questions because self-discovery is the beginning to self-healing. Thank you so much and welcome back for another episode. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.